Awesome. Stay standing. Let's stay standing. If I have to stand, then you've got to stand the whole time with me, all right? Let's lift our hands to our great king. These are incredibly significant days. We're living in great days. We're living in troubled times. But this we know. God is doing what God said he would do. We want to honor you, Jesus, in this room. We've sung, we've declared your wonderful name. We've acknowledged your lordship in this room, in our lives, in your church, in our ministries, all about you, Jesus. We recognize the power and authority that's in your name. We're not gathering in the name of a church. We're not gathering in the name of a group or a team. Gathering the name that is above every other name. There's power, there's authority, there's healing, there's freedom, there's destiny. All that is required is wrapped up in you, Jesus. Tonight in this room, as we lift our hands to you, we ask for your rule and reign to come. Not just out there, but in this room tonight. Take your rightful place. You are king and you are Lord. And as we come together this evening, we gather in that name and it's for your glory, it's for your fame, it's for your plans, it's for your purposes, it's for what you want to do in us and with us and through us. And tonight, would you have your way, truly have your way. As the word is declared, may we respond and receive and submit and surrender and align our hearts with your heart and come back to the things that matter and let go of the things that are not from you. Would you give us clear thinking, clear understanding? Holy Spirit, would you reveal the greatness of Jesus tonight? Would you lift Jesus up as we exalt him? Would you... Break the shackles. Would you open our eyes? Would you open our ears? Would you open our hearts? That we may receive from heaven tonight. Come and have your way. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the things we know that you're doing. And thank you for the things we don't know. We just know that you're at work with your people in this room tonight. So we say come and have your way. We honor you in this place. We honor you, King Jesus. We make much of you tonight, much of you. It's our privilege to worship and honor and talk about you. So come, we pray, in your mighty, mighty name. Holy Spirit, would you come again and teach us and reveal and bring revelation and show us and liberate us. And we welcome and acknowledge and honor you, Holy Spirit the greatest teacher of all. Teach us, we ask, in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. You can please take your seats. I, uh, if you weren't here this morning, I do want to say it's an incredible privilege to be back in this great nation, Australia. What a great, great place. <laughs> And uh, you hid from us for a while, but you've opened up your borders and let us back. So we are very grateful for that. 
But obviously been praying into this time, praying for the season and just trying to hear God. How many of you know, it's, obviously it's been a crazy, crazy few years. And the last time I was here, I declared some awesome things and then I left here and everything shut down. So I'm not going to declare anything awesome tonight except, no, I'm just joking. I, I, uh, I'm hoping to declare some things again and just um, love that you have stayed the course, grateful to God that you've kept on doing what it is God's called you to. And uh, how many of you know that God's been working in this season? And maybe it hasn't worked out how we've thought, but God's been doing some stuff. And uh, I've kind of felt more and more that it's in seasons of crisis and in seasons of confrontation that the destiny of God is revealed way more than it is in seasons of comfort and convenience. I know we don't like crisis. I certainly don't. I don't like confrontation, but it's in those seasons God brings back the most important things. It's in those seasons we, we get to be reminded and, and see again what it is God's called us to. When, when we have comfort and convenience, it's kind of fitting around us, and it's what do we want, and we got momentum, and we're running with things, and we're hoping God's in it. But, but when crisis hits us, we come back to what really matters. What's this all about? And I'm certainly not a prophet by any means, but I've done my best in this season to ask God, what is it that is happening in this time and season? And there's many things, but I, I, I believe there are three major things that have been happening. I think you would agree with me, and I'm sure you've got more to add, but I feel like three major things have been happening. Number one, we are seeing people sin like never before. Now, I know that sin has always been here. I've read the Bible. I know what happened in the book of Genesis when sin entered the world. But I want to tell you, it seems like sin is being exposed more and more. People are sinning. People, lawlessness is existing. Everybody's doing whatever they want. Uh, our governments, and I'm not here to talk bad, but global governments have been exposed. Things have been exposed in, in regions and cities. And, but you know, friends, it seems like sin's in the church also. And it's like lawlessness. And the Bible warns what to do in those things. It warns uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 about godlessness in the last days. And, I, and I'm not here to preach on it, but it warns of the things that would begin to happen. And let me tell you, we're seeing it being lived out. And it's interesting how Paul writes, and he, he says we're to avoid such people and keep away from them. That's what he says when it comes to people raging and people lovers of themselves and lovers of all these things. And he says, stay away from that. And, it, and I just want to ask you, are you staying away from that or are you involved in that? Because it's important to God. God still cares. He does not tolerate sin. He will never tol tolerate sin. And he cares when people are sinning. That's why Jesus had to come and die on the cross. I believe it's a sad reflection of the church today. We are more afraid of holiness than we are of sinfulness. And so I, I, I don't want to be negative, but people are sinning. How many of you can see that? How many of you know that? I mean, the corruption, it's there and it's being exposed. And if that's all that was happening, it would be bad enough. But at the same time as everyone and people out there and it's just sin is abounding and at the same time that's happening, we see, secondly, the devil is raging. So you've got sin happening, and people are sinning, and then you've got the devil raging. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be self-controlled and alert. 
Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. And I've heard people talk about the devil like he's a mouse with a megaphone. Like he's just this little mouse and he's got this megaphone and he doesn't really, but we've just read he's like a roaring lion who's on the prowl looking to devour and take out people. I was fortunately a few weeks ago able to get back to South Africa and I went to Africa to the bush and I encountered a lion. Not, not walking, but while I was driving. And, and let me tell you, that's no mouse with a megaphone. Just the very sight of a lion. And then if it just is, and two lion, we recorded, two lion were like having a little talk to each other. And there's like, who? And the other one's, who? And I'm, get me out of here. And I'm not glorifying the devil. I'm letting you know he's like a roaring lion looking to devour anyone and everyone. And he's raging. While men and women are sinning, the devil's raging. And he's seething, and he's got us raging against each other. He's got people fighting people, and he's got uh, we us fighting each other. We're fighting governments. We're fighting people. We're all standing on different places, and we're just going at each other, thinking we're in a good cause, but we're actually playing into the cause of the enemy. We're taking each other out. And I don't want to get into all the social media stuff again. I've addressed some of that, but just stop taking each other out on the causes that the devil's got us fighting. A house divided cannot stand. A kingdom divided itself cannot stand. And I know we know this, but let's not play into that. Let's just get off social media. Remember I said this, just get in trouble again and say this, that social media has certainly not allowed or let the, what did I say? Uh, Social media has not enabled the lame to walk but it has enabled the dumb to speak. And I know I get in trouble, that's why I keep saying it. I like being in trouble. But it's like we think we're standing on these great truths, but we're actually dividing, and we've got the devil raging. And you know, he seeks to destroy the church. He seeks to take us out. And can I just say, he'll use anyone, including you and me, to take out each other. I remember doing a series... Uh, I, I remember when we were driving, I used to take our kids to church. Nicole and I would drive separately because it's better that way on a Sunday morning. Husbands and wives should just go separately because the devil likes to divide you before you get to the meeting. And so she would drive separate in her car and I'd go, my, and I'd take my sons and they'd say, Dad, what are you preaching on this morning? And I'd go, the Bible. And they go, yeah, I know. And then they'd say, what are you preaching? I'd say, Jesus. They're like, I know, but, but what are you preaching? And I'd always have this game with them and one day I was preaching on how to kill the church. And so I was driving and my boys said, hey, Dad, what are you preaching? I said, how do you, I'm going to preach on how to kill the church. And they looked at me and said, I could see Josh's eyes in the back of their car going, why would you preach on that? I said, because the devil desires to destroy the church. And this is how he does it, by using us to take out each other. He'll use anyone and everyone to divide and to mess up and to distract from what it is God's called us to. So just be aware of that. I'm not going to talk on that tonight, but be aware of that. He is outraging. He's seething. So you've got man sinning, or people sinning, not man, people are sinning. At the same time, you've got the devil raging. 
But there's a third element that's most overlooked, and I've overlooked it because I've been so focused on what the devil's doing and so focused and disappointed by what man's doing. And then in this crazy season, God had to remind me, by the way, I'm also doing something. And so what is God doing? God is shaking. You've got the devil raging. You've got man, people sinning, not man, man and woman, because women, amen, when we say man sin. So we'll go people sin, right? You've got people sinning, devil raging, and guess what? God is shaking. And it's into that context we find ourselves and saying, well, what's this all about? Now, I want to tell you about the shaking. Shaking is a good thing. Because shaking reveals what we are anchored to. We don't know what we're anchored. Someone said today, I think in the panel, the toothpaste, you, you don't, until you squeeze, then you know what's really inside. You can say what you want inside till the pressure comes. And, and shaking reveals what we're anchored to. One Sunday in 1916, G. Campbell Morgan stood in the pulpit of Westminster Chapel in London to deliver his sermon. World War I had been raging for two years, killing and maiming countless soldiers and shattering the prosperity of Europe and America. And death and suffering were everywhere. And Morgan preached a sermon entitled, Things Shaken, Things Not Shaken, from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 27. He said, if we've learned nothing else, surely we have seen our smug self-confidence rocked to the core by the hand of God. He closed his sermon that war-ravaged Sunday with these words, for every shaking of the earth, the man of faith thanks God. Only the things which are not vital can be shaken, and only the transient can be destroyed. The real things of life abide faith, love, and hope. Through the shaking, these are manifested. Or as Haggai said, by the shaking comes the desire of all nations, which is Christ himself. And then he said this, may he direct our hearts into the patient waiting for him that is born of our sense that the shaking of all things is of God and that only that which can be shaken can be destroyed. Shaking is a good thing for believers. Shaking reveals what is kingdom and what is not kingdom. And God is not about anything other than His kingdom. And so when the shaking comes, it's to help us, His people, get back to kingdom stuff, the stuff that will last forever. When He shakes... It's to break down. When he shakes, it's to break up. When he shakes, it's to break open. God does things to break open, but in the breaking open, he also closes some things down, right? I haven't heard too many people preach on God the great door closer. It's like God is the door opener, and we love the Revelation text that God, the, the, if God opens a door, He opens a door that no man can shut. How many of you love that? We prophesy that, we say that. We, but in that same verse, it says that He closes doors that no man can open. 
And I don't hear anyone rejoicing in the closed doors. We all blame the devil. That's got to be the devil. The devil closes all. No, God, the great door opener, is God the great door closer. And crazy season we've been through, this great God has closed some doors. It hasn't all been the devil. He's closed some doors in order for you and I to see the doors that He's opened in this season. And so part of the shaking is doors have been opened. And I beg of you, I pray that we as God's people in the season can stop trying to kick down the doors that He's closed and come back to what's been opened through this crazy season. Let's walk through the doors that cannot be closed because He's opened them. But let's stop praying and fasting for doors to open again when God's closed them, maybe forever maybe for a season, but doors have been closed by the great door opener and the great door closer. Are you hearing this? Let's not pray and fast for what was. Let's embrace what is and let's look for what's to come and let's look around. And in our ranks around the world, we have seen doors being opened like never before, even though many doors have been shut. And we just cannot be nostalgic for an era that does not exist. We can't long for what was. We can't go back. There's no going back. God's not in the past. God's in the now and into the future. And we must be people who realize the shaking has uh, broken things open. God shakes to break through. This is a season of breakthrough. It's different to how we perceived it, but there is breakthrough that has come through the shaking. God shakes to break in. God wants in. He wants His church. He wants to break in. He's tired of being on the outside looking into His own church. Now He's broken in by the shaking. He's saying, I want in. My church, give me my church back by giving me honor again for me to be in the midst of my people. I said this morning, what would the church look like if it was built to attract God, not just people? That's the church I'm looking for. I want to be part of a church where God is in our midst. Not because we have to say theologically, because there's evidence that God is here. And God wants His church back in Australia and New Zealand. And this land of the white cloud in New Zealand and the great south land of the Holy Spirit best become that again by the church opening her doors to letting God take His church back as He's broken in and revealing Himself afresh. Amen. Also, I want to say this. He shakes to break out. He shakes to break out. I've said this many times, that as the world is at its worst, the church needs to be at its best. And I'm just going to say, maybe at times, and maybe through the season, we haven't been at our best. It's almost like, I heard the best, is like the makeup of the church was removed through this season. I thank God for makeup, and I won't get into trouble speaking on that, so let's move on. But makeup, they tell me, covers up blemishes. Is that right, ladies? A man? I don't know who. I mean, keep putting your makeup on, but makeup doesn't get rid of. It just covers up. Is that right? No? Okay. (laughs) Husbands don't want to amen that right now, do you? And so this season almost removed the makeup of the church, and the blemishes were revealed, and the heart of the church has now been revealed, not the blemishes and the cover-up, but but I've watched 
how quickly we want to put the makeup back on. Don't put the makeup on. Deal with the blemishes. Sort the stuff out. Come back to being better. Come back to being more Christ-like. Come back to reflecting Christ rather than covering it up and being this attractive, fake thing that when all removed, the blemishes are there. The world that is worst needs the church to be at its best. A.W. Tozer says, Revival happens... When the majority of people in the church decide to swallow the Bible and let it have its effect on their lives, whatever comes their way. See, I live in America, and America's big on we need Christian governments, and we need Christian books, and we need Christian movies, and we need Christian schools, and we need Christian businessmen, and we need Christian business people, and we need Christian, and I want to say one thing we need more than all that is Christian Christians. That's what we need. If the church is going to be better, it just means we are truly Christians. We, we can't look to governments. We can't look to more movies and more books. Just go and be who God's called us to be. As world gets worse, church gets better. As the darkness shines, the light shines brighter. Not through governments, through us, God's people, God's church. Just reflecting the light and being Christian Christians. I think the two trends that hurt the church's credibility is inactive believers and unbelieving activists. I'll just leave that there. So why am I saying all this? I have no idea why. <laughs> Good word, that's right. Thank you. I, I've got a friend who's not part of NCMI, but he's a, he's a good man, and he's a prophetic man, and he's a man I trust, and, and a while back, he called me, and he said, the Lord put me on his heart, and he was like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to say, what do you want to and the Lord said, I want you to call Tyra, and so he did, and he said, what do you want me to tell him, and he, he gave me this great prophetic word and this great picture, and I, I, I don't want to emphasize the picture, but what it basically was saying is that he saw me standing on a dock, and there were these ships, thousands of ships at sea, and he saw two ropes. One was, had come from, uh, one was into the, the concrete behind me like an anchor. They were anchored into the pylons behind me, and the other one was in my hand. And he said this, I saw you pivot. I saw you pivot, and as you pivoted, all those ships lined up. And he said, I'm t I feel like God's saying that all these people, all these churches, all these guys that God's connected you to, that they connected to this great uh, um, foundation and this great anchor, but there's also a pivoting, a shifting, and as you shake this, God's pivoting people and pivoting churches back to what God's called them to. And, and I've thought about that, and I wrote down about 35 pivots I think we've had to make, and I'm not going to preach on any them tonight, but, but I want to say this. Please hear me. This is not cliche. As I've prayed, I said, Lord, what is it? What is the great pivot? What have you put in us? What have you put in our hearts? What are you saying to me? And, and I felt the Lord say, this is the great pivot that's needed. All these other things are byproducts, but the great pivot that's needed for the church today is that we have to move from a cruise ship mentality back to a battleship mentality. That's like a, thanks for that golf clap right there. I'm staying in uh, Darling Harbour. It's beautiful. Isn't it not beautiful? Wow, it's, 
It's beautiful. Sydney is beautiful at, in the Darling Harbour. That's about it. No, it's a great place. <laughs> and uh, every morning and night, I go for a bit of a walk and run and a prayer. And uh, there's these wonderful yachts. I mean, they're beautiful. These yachts are stunning. I mean, there's opulence. And, but then there's this maritime museum. And there's this ugly, gray battleship. And next to it is all these wonderful, beautiful, opulent catamarans and yachts. And then there's this ugly, gray battleship. And every time I walk past, I'm offended by the battleship. But I look at it and I'm like, it's made for mission. It's made for purpose. There's nowhere to lay out on that. There's no wonderful seating. It's got cannons. It's, kind of, it's got all these things. But everything on that battleship is for the people who are not on the battleship. The opulence of the yachts and the cruise ships are all, everything's there for everyone on the cruise ship or on the yacht. It's how to make it comfortable. It's how to, and friends, I know we're not going to get too many amens tonight. But this I want to tell you, God has not called His church to ever be a cruise ship. We are called to be battleship. We are made with mission. We are made for mission. We exist for the people who yet to be reached. We exist to reach people. Everything on the ship is for the people who are not on the ship. We upwards and outward focus. Yet the church so quickly, and through a crazy season like this, comes out of it and so quickly wants to go back to Give me cruise ship. Tell me how awesome I am. Tell me I'm awesome. Tell me, give me the 10 steps to success. Just keep me happy. Keep me unrocked. Un and I'm just going to keep coming back. If you want my tithes, you want my offerings, just make me feel loved. And I'm like, Lord, how many times do we have to move the church? Why do we have to keep preaching? And I felt God again speak to me so clearly the way to stay a battleship, not have moments of it and then fall back. The way we stay being a battleship is simply to shift our focus and begin to keep our focus as not church-focused, but kingdom-focused. Now, none of what I'm saying tonight is new, but it's restored, it's brought back, because every week, otherwise every year, we're going to come back and say, are we still a cruise ship, or are we a battleship? And friends, we've got to somehow move and say, it's going to no longer be a cruise ship, it's time to be a battleship, and the way to stay there is to stop focusing on the church and come back to focusing on the kingdom of God. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. How many of you know the church is not the kingdom? Now, I know some of you have been taught that it is, and I'm just telling you it's not. And not because those people are bad, they're wrong. And I'm not fighting you, and I'm not dishonoring them, but the Bible's very clear that the kingdom cannot be shaken, right? The church is shaken all the time. Why? Not the kingdom. If we preach the church as the kingdom, as awesome as your leaders are, they will always be the king. The church is not the kingdom. And as long as we preach the church as the kingdom, then we're forced to focus on us. When you preach the church in the kingdom, we focus on the king. 
Is, is, that, is that making sense? And I, I, I know, friends, there's a pressure for us to make it comfortable. I know that people will leave when we present real kingdom stuff. But you've got to settle. Are you going to do the church thing and every time crisis hits, they're gone? Or are we going to come back to mission, kingdom, and come back to the things that last forever? See, I'm convinced people lose their way when they lose their why. We need to keep coming back to king and kingdom. This is like simple stuff. This is stuff I've always preached. But I got so busy with church stuff and buying into the American lie and the church lie. And you want to keep people. And if you just calm down, if you stop talking about kingdom, stop talking about mission, people will come. And then you can fill your buildings. And then you begin to talk kingdom and they're gone. And then COVID hits and people leave. I loved the dis- some of the discussion this afternoon. I didn't like the political stuff, but all the other stuff I thought was brilliant. Sorry, I'm just having fun at your expense. But I listened to these. I wanted to get up and say, this is the one lesson we also had to learn. Just as a side note. Many people left the church or walked away through this season. And maybe it's because we had attenders rather than participators. And because someone shows up on a Sunday to your gathering does not make them a participator. If we make it so attractive... So comfortable. If we make it that people belong, you know, we got this whole thing, we got to get people to belong. Just make them belong and then trust one day they'll believe. Isn't that so awesome? I mean, I understand the notion and I've tried some of that. Here's what I want to say they will never belong until they believe. I'm not saying make it hard. I'm just saying they don't belong. They're not part of God's family till they believe in God the Father through Christ the Son. And so we are. Now we're just going to keep them entertained. We'll keep them every Sunday. One day they're going to believe and we'll do everything they want. Crisis hits, they're gone. We're saying, what happened? They never belonged. Why? Because they didn't believe. Because believing is when you come into the family. Then you are connected to the family. Then you stay. Then you're part of. Then when the crisis hits, you're in the family, not you're trying to find your way in this family. Because you belong through the Father who's brought you in. They'll never be family till they believe. Let's not make it hard. Just Colossians 1.13 says we've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and we've been brought into the kingdom the son, in the son, in, uh, the son he loves in whom we have redemption. You see that? Transferred, rescued from, brought into what? The kingdom of God. Hebrews 12.28 and 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us thankful and be, so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. It's the kingdom, friends, that is declared to be unshakable. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom, His will and His righteousness, His way, and all these things will be given to you. Seeking the kingdom 
is the believer's priority. Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Let me say to you, don't forget he bought the field for the treasure, not just to have a field. The field was bought, the price was because the treasure was in the field. Romans 14, verse 17 to 18, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Friends, the kingdom living is the central theme of the entire New Testament. Jesus spoke more in the four Gospels about kingdom than anything else. There are more than 90 references in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus' first sermon was the kingdom of heaven being at hand, or the kingdom of heaven is near, Matthew 4, 17. Jesus prayed to the Father, His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, Matthew 6, 9, and 10. It's the kingdom that is delivered over to the Father, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28. It's the kingdom that demands repentance. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. It's the kingdom that Jesus explained to the bewildered disciples before Pentecost. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. You know it. After Jesus' suffering, he went and presented himself and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he went about and spoke about the kingdom. Before his death, after his death, he spoke about the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom that Nicodemus was seeking at great personal risk. John 3, verse 3, Jesus said, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. It's the kingdom that is not in word but in power, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. So here's what I want to say. The church is in the kingdom, and the kingdom is in the church, but the church is not the kingdom. And we've got to pivot we got to pivot from being church-focused back to being kingdom-focused. And then when we pivot, we've got to stay there. And we've got to keep there. And no matter what comes our way, it's king and kingdom, nothing else. The kingdom of God is unshakable. The kingdom of God is eternal, meaning no beginning and no end. The kingdom of God is absolute, neither relative nor changes. The kingdom is infinite, no limit in space and time. And none of what I just described at all describes the church. And I want to just say there's a distinction between the two that must be clear. We've got to separate the two. Now, I want to just say I'm not preaching the kingdom at the expense of the church. I'm trying to tell us they're not the same thing. And when I listen to us preach and what we talk about, we talk so much about the church that everyone wants to be about the church. And the church's role, responsibility, is about the kingdom of God, not the church. Otherwise, we'll always be cruise ships and never function like battleships. They're not separate, but they're different. It's like two legs. We need two legs, but they're not the same legs. My right leg and my left leg, I need both. And they can't be separated, but they're not the same thing. Are you with me, my friends? 
The church needs to view herself, ourselves again, how Jesus views the church. The church is not the goal of mission. The church is the agent of mission. We are the agency through which the kingdom of God comes. When the kingdom is declared, I believe the church is built. When we proclaim his kingdom, the result is the church is built. Our kingdom, the kingdom is our priority. Out of that proclamation, people are called out, the body, ecclesia, to embrace Christ's lordship. So I just again to say, we need a kingdom-shaped view of the church, not a church-shaped view of the kingdom. Don't get distracted with the upkeep of the church at the expense of the advancing of the kingdom of God. Am I making sense? So quickly, what is the kingdom? Well, it's many things. And I certainly don't have the full picture or full understanding, but this I want to tell you. It's not some mystical, mystified, hopefully one day something out there. It's, not, it's simply, I believe, the rule and reign of God. Wherever God rules and reigns, that's the kingdom. Wherever God's rule and reign comes, that's the kingdom. So people say, oh, you guys are all about kingdom now. I mean, I've heard that so many times. Are you? And I'm like, well, yeah, kingdom now and not yet. I'm not being political. I'm not a politician. It's both. I believe the kingdom, it can come now, has come now. I believe that if someone gets saved in this room tonight, the kingdom of God has come. The rule and reign of God has come. We prayed for people this evening to get set free. If they were set free, the kingdom, the ruler and reign of God has come. If we pray for marriages and they have breakthrough and restored marriages, the rule and reign of God has come. If we pray for financial breakthrough and you get financial breakthrough, it's the rule and reign of God. We see it, friends. It's now but not yet as well. It's still to come fully. So wherever God rules and reigns, that's His kingdom. And our role, our job, our call is to advance, to extend the rule and reign of God. And can I say, the rule and reign of God can't come through us if it hasn't come in us. We've got to allow the rule and reign of God in us so we can extend it through us. So what is the kingdom? It's the governing influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his personal will, his purpose and intent producing a culture of values, morals, and lifestyle that reflect the king's desires, his nature for his citizens. It's about him, not us. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. Upside-down. Amazing. Jesus came to serve as king. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. This kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It's a grassroots kingdom. Jesus came for every man, every woman, the poor, the broken, the least, and the lost in our society. Not just for the rich people, not just for the prominent people, for all people. That's the kingdom of God. It's a salt and light kingdom. Two kingdoms are in conflict. Don't be amazed or surprised by the conflict we face when it comes to kingdom. If you church focus, with all due respect, you can get along with most people in your city and your region. You do your thing, they do their thing, every religion does their thing, and we all coexist if you church focus. If you're kingdom focused, there's no such thing as coexist. They're two kingdoms. 
And they're not side by side and pick a kingdom and we can just hang together. They're two kingdoms in conflict. Kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. Pick one. And if you're not in the kingdom of light, you're in the other one. And they're not buddies hang out. Where there's this clash. There's this battle. So don't be surprised if you're kingdom focused by the battle we're facing. Not against people, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers and powers and authorities. Are you with me, my friends? I hope this is making sense. Don't be surprised by the conflict we face if you understand kingdom dynamic. Francis Schaeffer said, we're locked in a battle. This is not a friendly gentleman's game. It's a life and death conflict between the spiritual hosts of wickedness and those who claim to na- the name of Christ. C.S. Lewis says, there's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. I'm going to say this, you can't take kingdom ground without opposition. And the world is too strong for a divided church. It's an incarnation kingdom. Jesus, just as Jesus lived among people, so members of the kingdom of God live among people, speak their language, and live as their neighbors and friends. It's not like we're separate and out there and doing it. We're connected. We're mixed amongst people. We are there. That's how Jesus lived, and that's what he's called us to. It's a transformational kingdom. It's a discipleship kingdom. There's many elements to this great kingdom. So let me, let me just try and give a few simple thoughts around or truths around this. What are some of the signs? Because I have yet to meet anyone who's a believer or church leader who doesn't claim to be kingdom. Of course, kingdom, you bet. Yeah, it's all about the kingdom. Matthew 6, we're about the kingdom. We seek first the kingdom. So what are the signs of the kingdom? Maybe a few signs we can say, yeah, that's proof. That's what it means to be a kingdom people. Number one, and probably the most important one, is the sovereignty of Jesus. The sovereignty of Jesus. So much of the kingdom preaching today presents a kingdom with a vacant throne. We talk about a kingdom at the expense of the king of the kingdom. I listen to people talk, and I'm like, do we talk? It's like the throne is vacant. And I'm going to tell you, this kingdom is it's not a vacant throne. There is a king on this throne. There is a king of this kingdom, and his name is Jesus. And he's not an optional extra. He's not an add-on or a tag-on. He's not an ornament. He's the fundamental truth to it all. Jesus is sovereign in it all. I know that people get irritated by me because you talk so much about Jesus. Do you know what I realized? If we were kingdom-focused, we would automatically be about Jesus. When you're church-focused, you always get back to being about us and our ministry. But when you're kingdom-focused, the king is the sovereign one over his kingdom. So when we're kingdom-focused, then Jesus will have his rightful place. He's the main sign of the kingdom. The main sign of the kingdom is the sovereignty of the king. Church-focused, we're the focus. Kingdom-focused, he's the focus. I said earlier, the correct view of Jesus gives us a correct view of everything else. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that in him, all these great things, but then it says that he'll have first place, not a place, 
not some place, supremacy, first place in everything. The king has first place in everything. He governs. He's not a mascot. He's our master. You know, I was in a meeting. You know, we just got back in COVID. America shut down for a bit. You probably heard that too. But just a few months and we were able to meet. But we couldn't wait to meet. And so when we began to meet, it was like expectation. It was like, wow. I mean, honestly, you could say anything. People were wow. The songs were wow. It was just like, oh, this is awesome. We love this. But there was a meeting I was in, we were in, I was sitting at the back and the worship, friends, seriously, it was like, for me, this is what heaven's going to be like. It was amazing. The songs were clearly about Jesus. It wasn't guessing who we're singing about. It was the sovereignty of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus. It was phenomenal. All the musos were on their knees worshiping. It was like God was in the midst. God was doing his thing. Everybody in the meeting was on their knees. It was just like, and, I, and the, the scriptures that were read out, the book of Revelation, the, the Lamb, and all the throne, I just thought, this is awesome. I stood at the back and thought, this is pleasing me. I'm pleased by how we're pleasing him. And I felt myself say to the Lord, you must be so pleased. I'm pleased. You must be pleased. This is, this is what heaven's about. It's all about you. And, and, I, and I felt the Lord drop in my spirit, forgive me, and I should know the scripture, Luke 6, 46. And I didn't even think, what I had to go and find my Bible quick and go, what the heck does that say? And I, forgive me, I know I should know every scripture, but I didn't. And you know what it says in Luke chapter 6, verse 46? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And then it talks about, the foolishness of building on the sand instead of the rock. And, and I, I didn't have the dare take the microphone and say, because I wasn't leading, I was standing in the back. But I felt the Lord say, you have these moments of wow. You have these moments of you're awesome. We have these encounters and we need them. But what is it if we tell him, Lord, Lord, you're awesome, you're sovereign, you reign above it all, hail King Jesus, and we walk out those doors and do whatever we want rather than what he said. Don't call me Lord if you don't do what I say. Yeah. It's not harsh. This is lordship. This is understanding the kingdom of God. There is a king who's seated above it all, who's in absolute control and doesn't need us just to honor him, needs us to do what he says to submit to the incredible Lord Jesus Christ. So these few days together, awesome, worship, singing, praising. No question who we're singing about. No question who we're talking about. But what will we do when we walk out those doors or go back? Friend, if we go back to my way, my thing, I want to do it my way. Back to cruise ship preaching what people want. Or do we say, truly, I surrender and I submit and you're the Lord of it all and you are my king and I'm part of your kingdom and this, Lord, this kingdom revolves around you, not around me. I don't expect amens, but gee, it's true. He's not a mascot. He's our master. And we honor our master first and foremost. Is Jesus truly so? Is he, are you, is he supreme in your life, my life, in our church? Are we truly surrendered and submitted? You know, it's only in the kingdom that surrender brings victory. 
Some perhaps in this room, if we're honest, we're struggling with stuff. We're trying to find breakthrough, maybe sin, maybe something. And you're like, I'm trying this and I'm reading this and I'm trying. You know what? The only way to get victory in the kingdom is come to a place of surrender. When you surrender, that's where you find victory. Everywhere, everywhere else, if we raise the white flag and surrender, it's defeat. But in the kingdom, when you surrender to the king, that's the place of victory. And it's a, not a, day, a one-off, it's a day in and a day out of surrendering before this great king. What I've found is surrender releases his presence in us. And obedience releases his presence through us. So it's surrender in, so obey through. That's what we're called, in and through. You with me? Governed by the king, guided by the king, gathering for the king. Going for the King, growing for the King, glory for the King. One of my favorite texts, I've preached so many times, Matthew 16, but I re-looked at that recently and it's amazing. When Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? You know the story, and he said, some say you this and some, and he said, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, and you are blessed, Simon, because that was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And then he says, and on this rock I'll build my church, and I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. I believe what he's actually saying is, you are trustworthy with my kingdom because you know who I am. We want kingdom stuff. We want to administrate his kingdom. We're about the... But are you trustworthy with the revelation of him? Because till you know who he is, you don't really tr- we're not trustworthy with the kingdom. But he said, now that you know, you understand this, friend, sovereignty of Jesus, lordship, it's awesome truth. Let's get back to that. Let's stay there. Let's present that. Because it's the greatest sign of the kingdom is the sovereignty of the king. I've used this illustration, Matthew 26. The Last Supper, it's one of those grievous stories, but I've just put myself in that place many times. And Jesus is sitting with his disciples, and he says, one of you betray me. You know the story. I mean, can you just, don't read it. Picture yourself, how much you love Jesus. And we're sitting in a room like this, a few of us, and and Jesus looks around. He's sitting, and he says, when are you going to betray me? How would you respond? I'd be looking at you. I I knew it was you, Paul. I knew it was you, (laughs) Zeddy. I'm going to knock you out, bro. This is my king. This is my friend. Sorry, bro. I just... But I would be looking around. I'm scanning around. Who is it? And Jesus looks around and he says this. And one by one, one by one, the disciples say, not I. Surely not I, Lord. Surely not me, Lord. Surely not I, Lord. And then Judas, the one who does betray him, says, surely not I, Rabbi. Teacher, it's easier to betray Jesus if you see him as anything other than Lord. Second sign, not only the sovereignty of the king, but what about spreading of the gospel? We don't need, I mean, we love the evangelists. We have them. They're going to share stuff this week. But surely we don't need the evangelists to keep cheerleading us on about what we're called to do. Why don't we just tell people about our king? That's what kingdom people do. Not come to my church, come listen how awesome my preacher is, come and join my ministry. Kingdom people tell people about their king. 
We spread the gospel. It just spreads wherever we go because that's what it means to be a kingdom people, a battleship church. Not come and listen. Let me go and tell the world what Jesus has done. Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus said this, in the sign of the end, and these things will begin to happen, and rumors of wars, and nation against nation, all the stuff we sing today. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of the church, not just the gospel, not the gospel of salvation, not the good, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all ethnos, all nations, and then the end will come. Not the mark of the beast, not the vaccine passports, not, not even the Antichrist brings the end. Gospel preaching, kingdom to all ethnos nations. And that's what brings the end. Friends, I don't know what to say, but if that's what brings the end, surely that's what we kingdom people should be focused on. Can I just say it's the lost and the unreached. And I know I've said this here a few times. I don't know, I've preached like five times in the last couple of days, so forgive me. But I want to challenge us Aussies and Kiwis and whoever else, Americans, <laughs> and wherever else you're from, that it's not just the lost in your city. And it includes them, but it's not just them. Jesus didn't say go and just the lost. Many of us are leading a church that we are. We're part of the church of the cities, and, and we love our cities. We love the people. We're all about the lost there because that's what Jesus came to seek and say. But he also said there are people, ethnos, People, groups that have yet to hear this gospel. What will we do with that, my friends? It's as essential to the Father as the lost in our cities. And statistics are troubling when you hear them. They say, and I don't know who they are, but we'll quote they. They say that within a 24-hour period in a Western culture, which would be in Australia, that in the 24-hour period, at least someone in Australia or New Zealand would have the opportunity to hear the gospel. Every 24 hours, anyone somewhere, whether it's someone out on the street or they're walking past a church or they're listening to the radio, somewhere within a 24-hour period, any person in a Western culture would have the opportunity to hear the gospel. But in an unreached region, Maybe every 30-something years, one person would have the privilege to hear the gospel. Now, I hope that jolts you, shocks you, doesn't make you feel bad, but not, oh, I'll pray about it. We have not called to pray. We've got a mission. We've got a commission. We're about a kingdom, and God's calling us to be a battleship people who will get this gospel to our cities and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And crisis is coming, and crisis keeps coming. And if you read Matthew 24, more crisis will come. And what we do is we're so busy trying to gather again and survive that we forget we've got a mission that every time crisis happens, a door into an unreached region will open for a moment. But we're so busy trying to survive it rather than going through the door to reach people with the gospel. 
not feel bad. Let's be kingdom-minded, battleship people who say, let's look for opportunity to go to regions and places. You with me? Doesn't that excite you? I mean, Ozzy, you got, I, I, I get in trouble saying this, but you've got Asia right here. It's your backyard, not mine anymore. I'm in America. I've got other regions I've got to worry about too. But you've got Asia. It's right here. And you say, oh, well, they all come in here. Isn't that great? Well, they just come in here because God's bringing them to us, isn't it? Show me that in the Bible. Hello? It's awesome to think, well, God, God said go, but if we don't go, he'll just change the plan to make it convenient and bring them to us. We, we'll wait here for them. He didn't say, I'm bringing them to you if you don't want to go to them, just so you know. And you can reach them here, but we called to go to them, uttermost parts of the earth. It's in the scriptures. It's the mission of the church. Charles Spurgeon said it's the whole business of the whole church to get the whole gospel to the whole world. He also said this, and he's dead, so I'm quoting him, so don't be mad at me. He said this, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You're either trying to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ, or else you do not love him at all. He said it. He's dead. He said, it cannot be that there's a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. He who says he believes in Jesus but does not think enough of Jesus ever to tell another about him is an imposter. Charles Spurgeon, he's dead. Maybe. Can I say this again, friends? Are we, since Francis of Assisi said this, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Wrong. I love him, but he's wrong biblically. I understand what he was saying because many are preaching it but not living it. But we're not called to just live it. We're called to preach it. Declare the gospel. It's kind of like saying, hey, listen, go and Take care of the poor. Feed the poor. And if necessary, give them some food. <laughs> I'm not mocking that. I'm saying, of course, we've got to live the gospel. But we're also called to declare and preach it. And many of us are trying to live this great life that one day someone might ask us. No, no, friend. Go preach it. Go declare it. Go tell the good news to the people out there that Jesus Christ is alive. Yeah. Kingdom people talk about their king. What I've learned, if we don't scatter seed, God will scatter us. Can I just say, missions is for amateurs, not for pro professionals. The gospel is meant to gossip. Those of you who love to gossip, gossip about Jesus. Third sign, quickly, signs, wonders, and miracles. Oh, we're getting a bit weird. No, we're kingdom. That's all we are, kingdom. Oh, I'm not sure about that stuff. I kind of, I'm not sure. I know it's in the Bible. No, no, kingdom people understand that if I, listen guys, if, if I can convince someone into the kingdom, someone can convince them out of this kingdom. And I see it all the time. We arm wrestle someone in and then someone talks to them out. 
But when there's a demonstration, God revealing God's power, it kind of says, I don't listen just to you. I've seen and now I believe. God is not holding back. He's not waiting for us. He wants people to see Jesus is alive. He wants, and not that we go after this, but this should be following us if we're kingdom people. Signs and wonders and miracles. It should be naturally part of our lives. Now, can I, can, if you've church focused, honestly, we don't really need the signs, wonders, and miracles. And we can talk about them. We can go to a conference, and those of us who are a little like into that, we could go to a conference and get some of that and then come back and tell people. But we could just carry on without it. But if you're kingdom focused, signs, wonders, and miracles are essential. <laughs> We preach for the absence of criticism rather than for the presence of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to talk about this because people are like, oh, it's a bit freaky and we're Western people and we've got to think about this first. There's like intelligence. I'm not sure about Friends, God wants to reveal His power through His people. Signs, wonders, and miracles are a sign of a kingdom people. Zechariah 4.6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. The gospel of the kingdom is one of power and must become manifest through supernatural demonstration. God confirms the breaking in of his kingdom with miracles declared and demonstrated. Duncan Campbell said the kingdom of God is not going to be advanced by our churches becoming filled with people, but by our people in our churches becoming filled with God. Power for witnessing, power for signs and wonders, power to prophesy, power for deliverance, power for healing, physical, spiritual, emotional, relational healing. God brings that and kingdom people demonstrate that because we're about a kingdom that is unshakable. Just to step on our toes for a minute, to desire the Spirit but refuse the unusual. It's like wanting to swim, but not get wet. <laughs> I'd like to swim, but I don't want to get wet. I, I want some spiritual stuff, but this unusual thing, mm. friends, trust the process, trust the Lord, let the kingdom come and see what happens. Number four, quickly, the signs of a, spirit, uh, of a kingdom people, now, this is such an obvious one, but it's not preached enough. Salvation through being born again. I don't want to confuse us here, but most of us talk about salvation and getting saved. How many of us talk about being born again? Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if we preach enough on being born again. And I'm going to tell you, that's how we get into trouble. We're getting everyone repenting for everything we used to do. And every time we mention something, that that's who you are. And I'm a bad dude who's been made good. No, no, I'm a new creation. We've got to get back to this. Otherwise, we're jumping through hoops to become something we already are. If this shirt of mine, well, this beautiful shirt, isn't it? Look, but if it was red before, I don't say, hey, this shirt of mine, this red shirt is now black shirt. This is a black shirt. Yeah, we say, I was a, I'm a sinner saved by grace. 
And we, we, which you are, but you are a new creation. So if you're a sinner saved by grace, I'm just a sinner trying to find it, who found food to help, what is it? I'm a beggar trying to find food to help someone else find food. Or what. I love that. It does. It, it brings humility, but it's not who we are. I'm not a beggar who found food. I'm a born-again believer. I'm saved. I'm not who I was. I'm a new creation. In Christ, I have been made new. And we've got to come in. How do we expect people to live in this kingdom and see this kingdom and live in the freedom and live in what Christ had for us And if we are bad people trying to be good? New creation. When you come to Jesus... You are born again, born from above. Do you know that? Have you heard that? Will you have people know that? That's what it means to be part of the kingdom. You're born again. Friends, Aussies need to hear they are born again. You're not a good dude, bad dude who's been made good. You're a dead dude who's been made alive. You are born from above. That is kingdom revelation. I don't know when last I heard about born again. I'm being honest. Even in my preaching, you want to get saved, put your hand up, come to the front, repent of your sins. Now, do this, this, and this. And it's true, but we tell them all the stuff they've got to do to receive something. Now they might go walk it out. No, no, you're born again. You know, I bump into people in this great country because I used to live here and I lived in Adelaide in BC days too. Believe it or not, I wasn't born, born again. I had to. And I meet friends and I meet people and they recognize me and they're, hey, Tarn, I heard you're a priest. I'm like, a priest? Okay. <laughs> but they always want to take me back and remind me of my past, you know, and remember this and remember that girl and remember this. And I'm like, no, I don't. I'm not that. I don't. Yeah, but you were that. No, I'm not that. Like, stop telling me what I was. I'm, not, I'm a new creation. I'm not denying my past. I know where I've come from, but I'm not that guy. Nor are you. So when we get told you're racist, or when you get told you're sexist, or we're going to get told you're this, or you can say with a due respect, I'm a born-again believer. I'm not who I was. Stop telling me I'm going to keep repenting for something. I'm no longer that person. I'm born from above. I'm trying, and I'm getting in trouble while I'm trying. Listen, friends, we've got to invite people not only to hear the good news, but actually be it. Born from above. This understanding of rebirth is critical for understanding the gospel of the kingdom. You know, children inherit the attributes of their parents. To be a child of God is not a small thing. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Christians are living epistles, letters that anyone can read. I'm born again. I'm a new creation. Kingdom people, don't just live at the foot of the cross. Kingdom people, live at the feet of Jesus. We've just celebrated, well, no, we haven't for a while ago, but it seems like the other day, Easter and Christmas. You know what happens? I hear people. So it was a while ago. Gee, it was, hey, it's all big blue, you know. I'm 50 now, so I, I, 
But I listen to people talk about the cross and the cross. And listen, guys, I get the cross thing. Without the cross, we have no entrance into the kingdom. But can I say this, that the cross is the entrance, not the kingdom. And when you live at the foot of the cross, I go back to the cross all the time. No, no, get off your knees, come through the cross, and now worship Jesus where he is in heaven, seated above everything else. He's not on the cross anymore. We don't live at the foot of the cross. We live in the kingdom, worshiping the risen king. So I'm all about the cross, but I'm not about living at the foot of the cross or keep going back to the cross because I've come through the cross and now I'm living in the part of the kingdom and I'm worshiping the king for where he is today. Am I making sense? Some of you want to throw rocks. Just read the Bible in its entirety. I'm not fighting. I'm all for the cross. Okay, don't go here. Tyre doesn't believe in the cross. But the cross is the entrance point. We're not called to live at the foot of the cross. We're called as kingdom people to live at the feet of Jesus. We are saved from death for life. We're saved from shame for glory. We are saved from slavery for freedom. We are saved from sin for following our Savior. We are saved from the kingdom of darkness for the kingdom of light. To be saved into God's kingdom is to embrace God's comprehensive rule over every aspect of our life. And this is a far cry from merely asking Jesus into my heart. That means a new life, a new identity, and a new kingdom. Salvation. From being born again. Number five, this is not a good one, but it's here. Suffering. Suffering to those who seek to advance the kingdom. You don't hear a lot about this, and if you do, it's always, oh, you guys are old covenant. It's in the New Testament. Kingdom people understand, suffering is a sign of a kingdom people. And if you think COVID was suffering, and listen, I'm not trying to, I lost one of my family members through COVID. My dad's brother died of COVID. We've lost people. I'm not mocking it. It's real. Don't get quiet. It's okay. He's gone straight to heaven. No problem. But I'm not trying to, uh, it's not a thing. It's a thing. I've had COVID twice. It's, it's, it's no joke. It's not a, anyway. <laughs> Crash that there. But, but I'm just going to tell you, this is not suffering. This is not the judgment of God. That stuff's coming. We have to fear it. But suffering is part of a true kingdom people. If you read Acts chapter 14, verse 21 to 22, it says they went and encouraged and strengthened the brothers. And this was their message of encouragement. We must go through many hardships, they said, in order to enter the kingdom of God. Their message of encouragement is hardship. But it was because it was kingdom. <laughs> Okay, that's good. Quiet. That's cool. We'll move on. Just let me say, not all persecution is from righteousness' sake. Somebody's earned by our own arrogance, ignorance, and stupidity. It's true. Just because we're silly about things and then we get persecuted, that's not kingdom. But there is persecution for the kingdom and kingdom people. We have to fear it, but don't be amazed or surprised. It's part of a sign of a kingdom people. 
Sorry, that got hard. Let me land with some good news. Sending out and multiplying is a sign of the kingdom. A church without a kingdom vision eventually will become selfish and self-serving. The church is not a waiting room for heaven. We're called to send and go. And this is the challenge because it's so much easier to hold on to good people and keep people and get them coming to what we're doing and keep them engaged with what we're doing. But let me tell you, kingdom people understand our role is to raise up and send out. If you're, kingdom, if you're church focused, it's all about growth. If you're kingdom focused, it's about impact. If you're church focused, addition. Kingdom, multiplication. Church focused, it's about keeping. Kingdom focused, about releasing. Church focused, goal orientated. Kingdom focused, Christ orientated. Church focused, shakeable. Kingdom focused, unshakable. Church focused, branding. <laughs> Kingdom focused, glorifying. Church focused, pressure. Kingdom presence. Church focused, excellence. Kingdom focused, authentic. Church focused, fill the buildings. Kingdom, fill the earth. Church-focused, control. Kingdom-focused, order. Church-focused, implodes. Kingdom-focused, empowers. Church-focused, gather. Kingdom-focused, go. Church-focused, stay. Kingdom-focused, Send. Church focus, leaders of the church. Kingdom focus, church leaders in the world. Church focused, please her. Kingdom focus, please him. The last point. A sign of the kingdom is a life of significance. A life of significance. Don't allow the temporal to determine the value, your value. There is significance in everything you and I get to do if we're doing it for the king and for his kingdom. I, I, I want to tell you, they say the first 40 years of life is all about success. And then you hit this 40 year, 40, some like hit it when they're 12, others when they're 80, I don't know, but... 40, they say, like midlife crisis. You heard about that? Been through that? Some of you might have gone through that recently. And, and suddenly you realize success is not what we're going for. What's the significance of what we do? Right? Well, I want to just tell you that kingdom understanding gives you significance in everything. You don't have to wait till you're 40 to determine what's significant. If you are part of the kingdom living in what God's called you to live, not what you do on Sunday in the church. This is where it gets difficult because I tell you, when you preach church, everybody wants to operate on Sunday on the stage. And if they're not on the stage or they don't get opportunity to be on the stage or you get the microphone, they truly feel insignificant because we've made it about what goes down on Sunday in the hour and a half we're together. It's wrong understanding. It's essential to gather, but our gatherings are not significant for the kingdom in what you're doing out there every day if you're doing what God's called you to. 
Are, are you there, friends? Some of you in this room are called to plant, plant churches and are called perhaps to be elders and leaders. But there are many of you who are not. And you're as significant, if not more significant, I mean that with all due respect, than me standing here preaching to you. When you get up tomorrow and go to work and do what God's called you to do, in my humble opinion from Scripture, it is as significant as what we're doing right now. But you're not going to catch that if you're church focused. Significance to everything when you understand kingdom. You know, this crazy season, I've been stuck at home. And I love my house. I love my wife. I love my kids. I was in Denver. I've been in Denver for 12 years. And for the first time, I actually went through a summer, a spring, an autumn, and a uh, uh, winter or whatever, fall, and twice. (laughs) I've never been there for all seasons, and I was there twice for all seasons. It's a beautiful place in all seasons. It really has seasons. I've missed most seasons now. And it was irritating being home and being there and walking on the street and not allowed to talk to someone and everyone's hiding from me. Don't talk to me. And you get off, you stay there and I'll stay there. And then finally the gyms began to open. I'm like, I've got to go to the gym. So I went to the gym and I began to meet people. They all were scared of us, but then they began to talk. And then I realized how lonely people are. And the the gym I was connected, because our other gym closed down, so I'm in another gym. And then I realized there's a lot of rich people and successful people. And I began to talk to them and they're lonely and they're lost and they Looking for life. And a multi, multi, multi millionaire. I befriended this man. He's a lonely man. And one day I had the dare to ask a multi, multi, multi millionaire, what do you do all day? (laughs) I've always wanted to ask these guys. You have everything. What do you do? And he said, I'm so bored. He drinks himself sick every night. Every day, he sits at home. His wife works, not because she has to, because she can't handle being around him because he just drinks. He's lonely. He drives every car. He's got the houses. He's got, and he's got no, and can I say this? Please just hear. He, he attends a religious church. He does all the religious stuff, but he has no significance. He has money, he has fame, he's got everything, and he attends religion, uh, I'm trying to be vague, something. He attends the meetings for everything, he's got all the stuff they do. I'm not, no, you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not mocking, I'm saying he lives by all their rules, and he is so lost, and he has no significance. When he asked me what I do, I began to tell him he could not believe it. He, he longs for significance. The kingdom of God will give you significance to your everyday life. Everyday life. The stuff people see, the stuff people don't see. It matters in the kingdom. And it gives you your value and your worth. It's significant. It's worthwhile. And we've got to stop asking people, if you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? You know what we should be saying to each other? If you wake up tomorrow, what will you live for? What will you live for? It's not just about the dying. It's about living every day for the significance of the King 
and his kingdom. Let's close our eyes together, please. Can we just stand as we, I'll hand back to Matt. I just want to pray for us, if that's cool. Just stand, if you can, quickly and... Have we perverted? All of us. Are we church focused? Or are we kingdom focused? Are we a cruise ship? Or are we a battleship? Not cliche. A challenge for us today. And not that we change it and then go back. Stay king and kingdom focused. You know, Russ, Russ and Mary obviously were part of our church plant. <laughs> well, they, they went first, and then we followed them, and then we, yeah, anyway, a whole story there. But I, I don't know if you remember this, Russ. I preached something like this in our church within the, probably the first few months of our church being planted. And let me tell you, it offends people, this stuff. And I remember Russ coming to me after that meeting. He said, well, I guess you've nailed our colors to the mast, haven't you? And it's pretty much what we did. We told people, this church is a kingdom church. And I actually took that list and broke it down. This is what a church-focused church looks like. And, okay. and Rush comes to me and he says, I guess we've nailed your, our colors to the mast today. And we did nail our colors to the mast. And our church was birthed in this kingdom message. And, and I want to just tell you, unfortunately, we got caught up. I got caught up and I got busy listening to the voices to silence me from this. Not the that the culture began to stop us talking kingdom. Come back to church. If you focus church, people will come. If, I'm just telling you, don't allow your culture to shrink you back to being a cruise ship. We've got to stay true to the call. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. That which is only the kingdom will stand. Let's not waste our time, waste our energy, waste our resources on things that do not matter. And this evening in this room, Lord, I pray for every single one of us, including me, and I pray that you'll grip our hearts afresh with the King and His kingdom. That it will not be an add-on or a tag-on, but it will be the main theme the main focus, and we will contend for this day in and day out, and we will present Christ in His absolute sovereignty and about the kingdom of God. And through that, you'll add to your church, you'll add, but we will be about advancing the kingdom of God. Lord, please, where we've allowed our culture to shrink us or to hold us back or to silence us, would you tonight give us great courage? Would you get us aligned with your heart? May you come and rule and reign in our lives tonight. Before we leave this place to go and advance your kingdom, would you take rulership and reign tonight in every one of our lives? Come and rule and reign. And may the church in Australia truly be king and kingdom focused. And may we take much ground in this new season, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Cheers.